bring people closer to God, but also believes that the Holy Spirit can live through ordinary people and transform regular people into to superheroes and missionaries and people that God would use to do things that even those people wouldn't believe if I told you some of the things that God might do through you, regular people, you'd be like, there's just no way. That, that couldn't happen through me. And I, I, I could almost hear the list you're going to give me, right? First of all, I'm scared. <laughs> I wouldn't go to those places with you and Vince and some of the other psychos in here. I, I don't want to. There's nothing about Kabul, Afghanistan that's calling many of you right now. Uh, others of you would say, I'm scared to go on the campus and just talk to to college students who don't want to eat me or shoot me. Uh, others of you would say, you know, I'm scared to even talk to the people I love the most about the gospel. I'm, I'm so concerned right now about my own spiritual growth and well-being that I see that as maybe something that would happen in the, the future, the distant future. There's a season out there somewhere, maybe even in a, another universe where I might be the bold person that I have read the scripture calls me to be, but that's not my top priority. You know, you know, what, you know what we want to do? We want to sing. Man, we Christians love to sing, and I like to sing. I play the drums, and I write music, and, and I love music. I'm not, don't, don't like leave here today and be like, that fat guy from San Diego didn't like music. That's not what I'm saying. I love worship. But the truest form of worship is for us to go out and get more worshipers. Our God, our Father, looks down at his creation, and what he seems to really like is to see his own reflection. And it's really interesting, in the King James Bible, which is the Bible I grew up on, which is why I didn't love Jesus for many years, because it all sounded like Shakespeare to me. I was like, what's up with the these and the thous? I finally heard the gospel in my own language because some people really went out of their way to make sure that potheads in Houston had a venue to hear the gospel. People like me, I didn't just smoke a little dope. I made sure everybody who needed some could get some. As a matter of fact, I don't want to brag, but I think I was Houston's first ever door-to-door drug dealer. I took a can and I put the words Jerry's Kids in construction paper, which should have been a Pretty fast tell for all the suckers out there that it was in construction paper with a crayon. It said Jerry's Kids. And when I ring the bell, if the family came to the door and they were like dressed and sober and they looked like, you know, a sitcom family, I would stick out my Jerry's Kids can and say I was there to get donations. Then they would give me money, which I would then go to buy stuff to sell to the other people. And about a third of the doors I knocked on in this neighborhood in Houston that I was growing up in uh, did not look like a sitcom or a magazine article. It looked like, you know, stoners. And I would say, hey, do you guys need anything? And they'd be like, wow, you came right to our door. And since I was only 12, they knew I wasn't a cop. I want to back up a little bit. It's Father's Day, and uh, I've had a lot of kids, like he said. <laughs> uh, I've had four natural children with one, one wife. My wife and I have been married 24 years, and I can't believe she stays with me. Every year I give her a chance to get out of it, and she keeps renewing, so... I'm pretty stuck. If you saw her, you'd be like, wow, did you luck out? Good job. High five. Be um, <clears throat> then my wife and I had 35 foster kids in a two-year period. I don't, I don't recommend that. Uh, it, it hurt. About half of those kids uh, still talk to me and seem to love me, and some of them are even following Christ. One of them is a pastor in Austin. It's so cool. Uh, about half of those kids won't even talk to us anymore. 
And no matter how much we loved them, no matter how much we invested in them, they just couldn't accept love from us or anyone else. About half of those kids have been to prison now. Half of them somehow made it into what I call the taxpayer realm and uh, are pretty productive citizens. What's really interesting to me is I, I was telling one of the young guys from the school back there, I had a set of brothers, uh, Derek and Dijon, and then I had another set, uh, Terry and Jeff, Ishi. And I loved all four of these kids equally. I didn't, I didn't play, and with my own kids, I do play favorites, but with the foster kids, I was very careful. Well, the one that's most like me is my favorite, right? Got this little sales lady named Samantha. She saves money instead of spending it. I love Sam. So anyway, uh, if the rest of you kids hear this like on a podcast, I love you too, but you all know Sam is my favorite, so just deal with it. Um, it's Father's Day, let's be honest. But with our foster kids, my wife and I really tried to be even Steven. We really tried not to play favorites. We really tried to just love the ones that were the hardest to love. And these two sets of brothers, if you just look at the four out of 35 foster kids that we had over a period of two years, um, one of those brothers from Derek and John did not do very well. And that's all I will say because we're really rooting for him. The other one is, you know, going to the University of Houston as we speak. And uh, he's still a rough customer, but he has a testimony of praying to receive Christ, and he's struggling through life. But we've watched Derek do really well. And then, and with the other two brothers, uh, and I really, I'm, mo- I'm way closer to these because they communicate with me more. Terry is the pastor in Austin. He started a church called Life Church Austin a couple years ago, and our church in San Diego got to sponsor them. And he came out and preached at our church, and I went out there and preached a couple times. It was really awesome. His brother Jeff just got out of prison. And uh, so, you know, as a father of many children, it's astounding to me how I kind of offer the same product to everyone and people respond differently. Does that make sense? I think about this from the sense of the gospel. Uh, When I do evangelism with people, and mostly it's with strangers because I'm not actually very good at keeping friends. Now, some of you should really pay attention to this. Most of you were designed to primarily win over your friends and family. Right? I, I don't want you to feel guilty if you're not like me. About 6% of you, give or take, 5, 6, 8% of you, are what I call the commandos of the church. Listen, uh, the Navy SEALs aren't better than the rest of the Navy. They just have a different job. And as a matter of fact, sometimes it's a harder job, and even though you might think, I'd rather be that guy, it's probably better most of the time just to be a regular person in the military than the guys who like, never sleep and have to eat snakes and stuff. Right? So don't be super jealous of these people that have to get up early and stay up late and almost drown every week because you know, their job seems glorious, but it's, it's exhausting and it's tired. And so the lesson here in, in speaking and reaching and loving your neighbors is really just to be content with how God made you. And yet on the other hand, to grow and to make the effort to be more like Christ and more full of the Holy Spirit and more sure of God's word and its power in your life, so that God can use you more and more, even sometimes, as, as Vince likes to stay outside of the comfort zone that you've painted for yourself today. So I really do want to shake you up and challenge you, but I don't want you to hate me, and I don't want you to hate Vince for bringing me here. So I'm trying to strike a balance and just say that, you know, God looks down at all of the people, and I think that, that sometimes, as a father, I look down at all of my children, and I'm just dismayed at how few of them have chosen my path. I think about you know, the Heavenly Father created every human being and stamped his image on every human being. And, and I guess I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to pretend I know what bothers and doesn't bother God, but I have to imagine as a father that if, 
if I had all these people that looked like me and thought like me and felt like me and the vast majority of them turned their back on me, I guess I might be a little hurt. I guess maybe that explains Noah and the ark and the flood. And so there's this very small percentage of all of humanity that ever finds a true relationship with their heavenly father. Very small percentage. I mean, if you go to Wikipedia right now, it might tell you there's two billion Christians, but listen to me, I have a secret for you. There are, there are not two billion Christians. There may be two billion cultural Christians. There may be two billion people that go to a church or, or are on the list of some priest somewhere. But there are not two billion people truly worshiping the God of this universe in, in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? People who are truly following Christ. There's, there's just no way there's two billion of those. I don't think there's a billion. I would guess there's not half a billion. I, I can't say I've been all over the world, but I've been over half the world. I've been to a lot of places. And like where we live, it seems to be where most of the Christians are here in South America and then a lot in Asia, although they're kind of dispersed. But density-wise, I mean, we're in a place where there's a lot of churches and a lot of Christians. And at least where I live in San Diego, there's only about 6% of the people that say they're truly following Christ. That means when you walk outside your door in the West here, 94 out of 100 people are the people who carry God's image and yet don't return any praise to him. They don't speak to God's glory. And we as his people, we're his, we're his design, his object of his affection. We're the ones that he loves and he has called us to go into what I call the family business. Anybody familiar with that? Like mom and dad own a shop, and then they, they call their children to come and inherit that business, and they train them during their childhood. If it's a cobbler shop, every kid knows how to make shoes. If it's a bakery, mmm, bakery. Every kid knows how to bake pies and cinnamon rolls. By the way, does anyone here have a bakery? Because I need to talk to you. And our father's family business is really based on this idea of speaking blessings. It's the idea that, that he has called us to speak blessings back to him, to worship him, to praise him, to lift his name on high. A lot of Christians around the world would say something like amen or hallelujah right there. Say, say hallelujah. It feels good to go hallelujah. Yeah, you're allowed to do that. Do it when Vince is preaching. He'll be like, oh, Howard. Yeah, don't be quiet in church. This is a good place to practice speaking. Talk back to your preacher. Tell, yeah, you got it, brother. Amen. That's right, that's right. There used to be this uh, African-American guy in my old church where I was ordained, and he would always go, glory. And I just, oh, I love to make a good point. I would just look to him, and he'd be like, glory. And I was like, I got the Glory. I have 15 verses of scripture. They will seem a little disjointed. I'm, I'm kind of hyperactive in ADD, and I'm not medicated. Um, these 15 verses, they're not sequential. They're kind of all out of order. Uh, the gentleman that came up and read the call to worship earlier, uh, those are the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, listen, you know, when I come and meet you uh, in a new fellowship, really what I want to know about you is this. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. What does that mean? I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I don't care if your background is straight or gay. I don't care if your grandparents were slaves or, or railroad tycoons. I don't, I don't care. 
If you like the Giants or the Dodgers, I, I get Carolina. If you, if you like Texas A&M football, no, that, that actually is a big deal to me. But okay, everything else is really not that important. What I want to know about you is do you harbor a home in your heart for Christ? Do you know him personally? Do you love him? And would you say that there's evidence that he loves people through you? Is there an intimacy between you and Christ? Have you identified yourself as a person who has been called into his family's business of helping others find him? Have you heard and responded to the good news? And have you said, I volunteer to make sure others can hear and respond to the good news? Have you signed up for the assignment where you get to speak the truth into people's lives? Have you volunteered yet for the combat of this job? Or have you decided that you're going to spend your life in the kitchen or the hospital or the library of Christianity? But let me just tell you this. Everyone may not be a commando, but everyone is infantry. Think about this. When I, when I went to boot camp, I was uh, 17. I just turned 18, right after my 18th birthday. I had just quit smoking pot. Uh, I was barely a Christian at the time, trying to behave. I, and I knew for some reason that God wanted me to join the army. I'm so glad I obeyed that because uh, all of the blessings of my life, to include the way I met your pastor, all came from me being obedient to God who led me into the army. Now, I'm not saying you should join the army. But as an analogy, when I went through boot camp, every soldier, whether he was going to be a truck driver or whether he was going to be a bean counter or whether he was going to be a reporter for the Stars and Stripes magazine or whether he was going to be a medic, every enlisted soldier had to learn how to throw a grenade, had to learn how to march, and had to learn basic rifle marksmanship. And I remember thinking to myself, most of these people are never going to be directly in the line of fire in combat. Why are we spending 12 weeks teaching everybody infantry? And I had a question for the drill sergeant. I was that guy. I knew if I asked a question, I'd wind up doing about three or 400 extra push-ups that day. That's just how it worked. But I thought, hey, I'll be prettier. <laughs> Vince, I know you can't imagine this, but this is when I was a skinny 250 pounds, about 150 pounds ago. So I just said, hey, drill sergeant, I have a question. I'll go ahead and start doing my push-ups. And I'm doing my push-ups. I'm like, my question is this. Why does everyone have to go through infantry training if most of us are going to be rear echelon folks? Rimps, rear echelon folks. And he said, that's a good question, Everett. Keep pushing the ground. I'm starting to sweat. My uniform's turning white from the salt. My boots are getting wet. You know, I'm, I think I'm on like 75. And he goes, well, let me tell you the answer. Because in modern warfare, the, the enemy doesn't always line up and come at you straight on. So now, if you're in the kitchen boiling the beans, or you're the repair person who's in the, the motor pool fixing the, the vehicle, and you get attacked on your base somewhere out in the desert or whatever, there's a strong chance that you're going to have to know something about being infantry. And if not, everyone around you is going to die. Everyone's infantry first. Your MOS, or your job skill within the military, comes second after your infantry skills. So this is the analogy to now, instead of an M16A2 rifle, which has the uh, capacity to shoot someone at 1,000 meters, just if you want to know. Uh, the weapon of our warfare, the tools of our trade, 
are the testimony of the believer and the story of Christ crucified. And so what Paul said, I didn't come to you with lofty arguments. I didn't come to you with plausible words. I didn't come to you to persuade you like men persuade you. But he said, I came to you to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. What do you think he meant? He meant, I wanted you to know that this wasn't something I was selling to you so that at some point in time I could close you on a contract and just get you to sign your name. Listen to me closely. Churches are full of people who've signed their name but have never seen any demonstration of the true power of the Holy Spirit. And on Judgment Day, Jesus says this, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. Churches are full of people who have signed up, but never allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to penetrate them, to work through them. There's no intimacy between them and God. And I hope I'm talking to someone today, not so that you feel creepy or that you think I'm trying to read your mail. I hope that there's some real conviction that someone here today is thinking, you know what, I've been in church a while and, and I did sign up, but I don't have any power. There's, there's absolutely no demonstration of God's power actually dwelling within me right now. I have no power over sin. I have no self-control. I have, I have no desire to love those people outside of the church. I don't particularly love the people inside the church. I'm not more loving than I was when I signed up. Listen to me. If you're not more loving than you were when you signed up, then that's all you did was sign up. I, by nature, am not a loving person. I am, I'm what they would call bellicose. I like combat. I like conflict. I loved college sports. I, I switched from college football over to rugby because I started watching rugby games, and I noticed that the fat guys on the rugby team got to carry the ball. And I went up to the coach at SDSU in like 1994, and I was like, hey, I have two years of eligibility left. If I play rugby, can I run the ball? And the guy goes, yes, you can, all you want. And there was a play, there was a play, they called it the Reverend, the quarterback or the scrum half, number nine on a rugby field. He would get the ball, and if there was a lot of room out to the side, he would slap his right thigh. He'd go, Reverend! And, and he wouldn't throw it to me because I'm not super athletic. You know, you don't want to, like, throw a ball to someone who's not super coordinated. He would just hand it off to me like a football. And I would just run past him and catch the ball. And at full speed, it's not fast, but at, like, 360 pounds, there's a lot of trucking. You know what I'm saying? And I'd grab that ball from, and I would just be running, and a guy would hit me, he'd bounce off. Another guy would hit me, he'd bounce off. The guy grabbed my leg, I'd drag him. And finally, another guy would jump on my back, and I'd fall down. And I was like 10, 12 yards of carry. I'm like, hello, NFL, do you not see this? Refrigerator Perry, learn from it. Every Christian will be given opportunities to speak life into other people. And God's motive in this is that he would receive the glory, that he would get more worship. Listen, when I was a campus pastor, <coughs> excuse me, I used to argue with this other guy who was a campus pastor. Now, he was one of those pretty guys with a guitar, you know what I'm talking about? Like, a, you know, an artist. And he could just write music on the cuff, you know, like, like CDG, CDG, and he could just make words rhyme. And I hated, I hated him. I hated him. Hated him. He was so handsome. You know, I would do all this work, and then he'd smile at people, and more people would come to his ministry because he was good looking. I was just like, that's terrible. You should all come see me play rugby. <laughs> so one day I'm having coffee with Pretty Boy, and I really did. I, I loved the guy. And uh, he was a very immature goofball. He hadn't had 35 foster kids yet, so 
<coughs> I was pretty seasoned. I'd been in the military. I was a lot older than the average guy in this position. We're talking one day, and he said, it appears to me, this guy liked to argue too, loved it. He's like, it appears to me that you think that the only thing of value in ministry is evangelism. I was like, I, I wouldn't say that. I was like, but uh, what would you say the highest value of God is? He goes, oh, I worship. I said, well, I'll give it to you. So imagine this. God, our Father, is looking down over his creation, and today there's a certain number of people worshiping him. And if the worship is coming from their hearts, I think he really digs it. I think he wants to be sung to. He wants to be sacrificed to. He wants more than anything just to be obeyed. That's the greatest worship of all, right? He wants to be obeyed. His, he wants, the Father wants his children to be obedient. Amen? Glory. So, I said, listen, pretty boy, um, you think he might want more worshipers? I contend to you that today he's looking for more worshipers. He loves our worship, but he wants us to go out and find more who will worship him. And how is it that we do this? I would give you that intercession is important, that praying for people is super crucial. If, you, if you're not going to pray for something, then you probably don't actually believe it'll happen. That an integral part of anything we do walking by faith must include seasoned prayer, that we have to salt everything with the spice of prayer, that if we're going to cook something, the recipe's not going to come out unless we heat it up with some prayer. Amen? But after praying to God and praising God and bringing his glory to God, he has commanded us, not requested us, he drafted us. We've been drafted into his infantry. He has called all of us to go out and at least do the basics of his family business. All of us have been called to speak good news into the lives of other people. Every Christian is a missionary. The only difference between us is that some of us go to Kabul and Istanbul and other bulls. And some of you just need to go to the grocery store and Starbucks and the barber shop and be faithful and obey your father. Here's a prayer for you. Let's, can we all pray kind of Catholic style? Is that okay? You're the pastor. You need a nod. All right, I want everyone to do this. Put, lift your hands up so you don't look lazy. We're, we're talking to God now. Look up to heaven like Jesus did in John 17. I want you to say, Father in heaven. Father. Terrible. I can barely hear you myself. Father in heaven. Happy Father's Day. I will obey you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now that you've said that, let's look at the other 11 scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9 says this. Paul handling a conflict in that same church that the other verses were written to says, I planted... Right? I came in where there was no Christianity, and I made sincere and I believe strenuous efforts to make sure that a broad swath of the people in Corinth heard the truth about Jesus Christ. I planted. Apollos watered. By the way, in my story with the guitar guy, the CDG, I see that guy as like an Apollos, just a gifted, handsome, he's got all the stats all the, the, the advantages of ministry. Listen, if you don't have those advantages and stats, don't worry about it. Paul was a goofball. Everyone I know says that, that Paul was kind of a hunchback with one big eyebrow, and people didn't like him. He's perfect. 
It's pretty much like if Paul could do it, we could do it. None of us are like Apollos, like the, the most handsome, talented 1%. Those are Apollos's. The rest of us are hunchbacks with an eyebrow, right? I've got good news for you. When you die, you don't have to pay for all your crimes and misdemeanors. Look, we're not going to win any popularity contests, right? We're not the best looking people. Like, listen, everybody can't be good looking. Everyone's not a superstar athlete. Everyone doesn't have a golf platform to describe the glories of God on top of their mountain of gold and Mercedes Benzes. Right? Most of us are just regular people working 50 hours a week. We pick our nose. We chew with our mouth open. We belch in public. We've got problems. We scratch ourselves. We're just regular, dorky people. Can I have an amen? And that's who God chose. The foolish things to confound the wise. And our job is just to stop making that excuse that everyone else could make as well and just step into the obedience of speaking life, speaking truth, speaking wisdom, and you don't have to make any of that up. It all comes out of the pages of life and truth and wisdom. He'll give you all the words you need to say, and you just volunteer and say, I'll obey. And then the next time your waitress comes to your table, do something just insane and say, uh, um, Marcy, is it? Uh, I, go, I go to a church, it's in a theater, and uh, it's called uh, something, it's an Orpheum, bring your babies by. I mean, you could be that bad, and God can use you. I had some foreign exchange students, and they were like, we can't all speak with that. I don't want to do a horrible accent. That could have been African-Asian. I don't know. <laughs> you know what you know that? We can't all speak with that. Take it easy. So I, I took an invitation that we had printed up to our dorky church. I had a whole church full of dorks. Calvary Baptist Church. Let me tell you, that is not inviting in San Diego. Basically, the, white, the sign said, if you're not white and from the South, stay away from here. I literally, it took me two years to get them to tear that ugly sign down. It was horrible. And I would teach these, these people who were either so shy or so, you know, English as a second language, and I'd give them our little invite card that had a little map on it, and I would, I would walk up to someone else, and I would literally drop it. I would take the paper, and I would, I would like, this, say this pencil's the paper. I need my paper. And I would take the paper... And I would, I would go up to the person's lap, and I would go, Ugh! and I'd walk away. And I'd say, can you do that? And I'd give them like three of them. And I'd be like, today, three times. Ugh! 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 They'd be like, I can do that. I can do that. Even I can do that. Ugh! No speaking required to yet speak because guess what was on the little pamphlet? The good news. You've got to admit if you're at Starbucks and a, and a little guy from Africa or China comes up to you and grunts and drops paper in your lap and then runs away, that you're at least going to look at it. I wonder how many people on Judgment Day are going to be in heaven and when someone says, so tell me your story, you'll be like, some guy walked up to me and grunted 
And I got this invite to the church. I went there, and the guy was a psychopath, so I didn't like him. Then I heard of another church called The Rock, and I went there. <laughs> My church was a feeder to the good church. I can tell you that right now. We baptized like 100 people in a two-year period of time. I think 95 of those people wound up at The Rock. I was cool with that because I'm not really a pastor, so it was less people for me to deal with. So I, I, was, I was really happy just to do the evangelism and let someone else do all the hard stuff. I'm, I'm not a people person. I'm a task-oriented person. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives growth. If you plant or you water and you see some success, I don't care if it's Billy Graham-level success. I don't care if you're 10 times more successful as, as Vince or myself or even Justin Anderson. You are nothing in the equation but a guy with a bucket of seeds or a pail of water. The magic of the kingdom of God, everything that happens that is significant and eternal, the glory that goes to God, the weight of this message, all things point to him who is everything. We, we are nothing and he is everything. And yet in our nothingness, he says, hey, I'll let you come and play a part in my family business. And most of us say, no thanks, but I'll sing. I'll give $12. I'll set up and tear down. But don't think I'm going to go out and speak life and wisdom into people because it's not going to happen. Listen, if you're not willing to do it, just say no. I dare you. Imagine your father, not, not your earthly dad, but your real father says, hey, you know what I want from you? I want you to start speaking life into people, and I want you to start speaking truth into people, and I want you to start speaking my wisdom into people. Ready, go. Now your options are this. You can say yes, or you can say no. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, we're in God's family business, and you are God's field and God's building. There are three types of speaking I want you to leave here thinking about. Everybody hold up three fingers for me. Finger number one, edification. Say it. That means to build something up. Finger number two, invitation. Just do like this. Use your other hand. This is participation time. So number one is edification, building people up. Number two is invitation. It's saying, hey, hey y'all, come on. Number three is proclamation. <laughs> I saw people shiver. <laughs> I'm going to break these down and give you a few cross-reference scriptures, and then I'm going to wrap it up. You guys ready? You guys taking notes? Don't lie to me. Edification, number one, it has to do with their image. You can tell every human being drawing in a breath on the planet, no matter how they speak or whether they speak it at all, whether you need an interpreter or a sign language, any way you can communicate to any person, you can tell them that they are made in the image of God. Most people have serious image problems. And they probably won't believe you the first time they hear this. But your job isn't to convince everyone of the good news. You're either planting or watering. Amen? You're just way overthinking this. You got the seed of the truth that you could just say, you know that you're made in the image of God. Even if they don't believe you, trust me, you have just built them up. There's something good in you. 
You, you could tell anyone that. If you meet a prostitute, do they have prostitutes here? Probably. Late, ladies, 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 get some babysitters, go into the strip club, pay the cover charge, and go talk to every girl in there and tell them, you were made in God's image. I'm not here to condemn you. Uh, drop a little piece of paper on them. Because they were. Go into the prisons. Postman. Barista. There should be way more baristas in heaven because I know you guys are drinking coffee. Every person you come into is made in the image of God. And it's our job to tell them that. It's our job to build people up. The second, I want you to think of this word. The word is lovely. I don't throw the word. That's lovely. Do I strike you as a man who says lovely very often? Like at the end of an MMA fight when there's like a painting of blood on the canvas, I go, that's lovely. I like that. But every person contributes something. Imagine a mechanic who just changes out your alternator and he's got blood on his knuckles and he can do something that most of us can't do. Or or even better, I hate yard work because I grew up in a boy's home and I did like thousands of acres of, actually I had to push a mower until I was like 15, then I got to ride the mower, which in some ways was worse. And uh, I just, like when I got married, I told my wife, I'm never gonna cut the grass. We'll have to pay someone or you can do it. I ain't doing it. And so for like 20 years, she did it. Four years ago, we hired a guy. And that guy comes every Monday. It is interesting. I'm in a meeting when he comes every time. Like I, the first thing I try to say to someone on the phone is when I know he's going to show up. And what that guy does makes my world a more beautiful place on many levels. More than anything else, it makes my wife happy. The, the, the gardener does something for lots of people that is lovely. He was made in God's image, and he contributes something that's important to people. Every person on the planet, you can find something good to say to them. And the third thing, the first is that they're made in the image of God. The second is that they contribute something that's actually beautiful to this world. And the third is that they are forgivable. Listen, man, take someone by the hands and tell them, you are not beyond forgiveness. You're forgivable. There may be people who could never forgive you, but God can forgive you. You may not be able to believe this, but God could forgive you. He wants to forgive you. I don't care what you've done, every crime, every misdemeanor, every word of gossip, every time you've ever hurt yourself or another person, God, your Father, wants to forgive you. These words of blessing will change people's lives. And God will send you out, whether you're a cook or a babysitter or a mechanic or a musician. You are all missionaries. I want all the missionaries to raise their hand. Yeah, yeah. Most of you just here to the little Jerusalem in Flagstaff. Most of you just to the sphere of influence you already have. You've already got this group of 40, 50 people you see every week. And you think, I can't just jump right into my testimony or the gospel. I'm afraid to invite people to church right now. Great, start with just building people up. If you change that behavior in your life by faith, people will start to ask you questions. You you ever hear someone say, well, you know, I don't really need to tell people the gospel because I think people will just come up to me and ask me, why am I so different? Well, it really doesn't work for most people because we're not that different. Seriously, do people come up to you and say, hey, share the gospel with me? Why? No, because you're not that different. 
we're really a whole lot, we're, we're way too much like everyone else sometimes. And on one hand, strategically, that may be good, but how do we break the ice? I can tell you right now, if you're the person in their life that starts to build them up, they will want to know you. And they'll want to know your motives. And eventually, it'll be easy for you to tell them the truth. Start with just edifying people. Second is invitation. Listen, if only 6% of the people are actual commandos, psychopaths, guys that get up in the morning and go, who can I tell about Jesus? Or who, who can I trick from the church into going with me to tell people about Jesus? That's my favorite thing. I want to come here and do surveys one time. Can I come back when the students are here and just do surveys for a day, Vince? Come on, baby. One day of surveys. I know you hate it, but you've seen it. You can't argue with numbers. Listen, it's not about the people who get saved, even though that's awesome. It, what's the most awesome is when you start getting people to just do like stupid survey, you know, monkey evangelism tricks, reading the gospel to strangers. After a day of that, what happens is that the average Christian now says stuff like, holy cow, that was really amazing. So many people were blessed by the fact that I just made the effort to speak into their lives. Regular people sharing a three-minute written and read gospel presentation sounds weird and it's not cool. And, and I know the guy that started Redemption publicly once said that he hates the way I do evangelism. But the change that you see is the change in the people who regularly go out and speak blessings into people's lives. I would say this. Uh, Vince told you I discipled a lot of guys. When I disciple someone, I have them do three things. I have them memorize scripture. So if you're not memorizing scripture, may I assign a few verses to you? Start to memorize God's word. It'll change you more than anything else. Second thing is I, I teach people to pray scripture, not pray about scripture. Like, oh, Lord, what does this mean? That's not what I mean. I mean, once you've memorized it, to actually start praying it back to God. God, you say that I'm a new creation in Christ, and though I don't feel it, I trust you. And so I pray you would demonstrate that in my life, that if I'm an ambassador for you, Lord, according to your word, my prayer is that you give me some sort of, some sort of sign of where I should go out and, and do business for your kingdom. And if I've truly been crucified with your son, Jesus Christ, then why do I feel this way, Lord? Change my feelings according to your word. Let my heart and my life and my words line up with your eternal truth. And when you start praying God's word, let me tell you something. It will freak you out. Nothing will change you more than hiding his word in your heart and beginning to pray it with sincere belief. And the third thing in the toolbox of discipleship is this idea of learning to share the good news with people. I, I tell pastors all the time, if your discipleship does not include evangelism, it is not discipleship. And they're like, that's so rude. How dare you? I just can't believe you would come here and challenge us like that. You like conflict, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. There's three things that I want you to think about inviting people to. Now, be very careful to listen to, especially the second one. Pay attention. Wake up now. Don't miss this one. Invite people to meals. That's easy. Whether you're buying or someone else is frying the chicken, whether it's a meal here or a meal at your house. Even if you can't afford it and you invite yourself to eat at someone else's house, go start eating with people that aren't in the church. I do that all the time. I'd be like, you know, smells good, neighbor. Is that T-bones? <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm eating one of them. <laughs> this adorable face. Go on. You want to feed this, huh? The second is serving. We're supposed to serve the lost. We're supposed to serve the community. If you love Flagstaff, you're going to figure out ways as a church to serve on a regular basis. Bring your lost friends to serve with you. 
Listen to me. Look up here. This is so important. We just discovered this a few years ago. We, we had this thing called Don't Just Go to Church, Be the Church. It was like t-shirts and just madness. I, I'm part of a denomination that does all silly stuff. And I was kind of against it, actually, because I didn't like the t-shirts. And, uh, but, you know, I, they, they give me money to give to other church planners and stuff. So I just, I'm a team player. I went along with it. What we found was that when we invited our neighbors to go paint the school or do something, you know, yard work in the park, our neighbors seemed to like us more and be more interested in what we had to say when we brought them along to serve the city with us. When you're doing a service project, it is not just a bold witness to do it. It is a witnessing opportunity. Invite more people to that than you do church. They'll want to come to church when they see how cool you are and that you're really not just all talk and that you're willing to like get down and get dirty. You get down and get dirty and bring your regular friends to that and they will be like, you really believe this stuff, don't you? The, the third is celebrations, which I think includes worship service. But, but invite, if you have a birthday party for your kids and there's not some lost people there, man, do you not understand speaking life and truth and wisdom into people's lives? Plan your life around the kingdom of God. Make the kingdom of God your first priority. Listen to this verse, Romans 15. It says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Galatians 5 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have edification, build people up, tell them they're made in the image of God. Tell them that things that they do and contribute are lovely. Tell them that they're forgivable. The key word there is empathy. The second is invitation, meals, serving, celebration. The key word there is forbearance. Forbearance means push off the debt. <laughs> Settle up later. Let's just sort of engage. The third thing is proclamation, and the key word here is farmer. You guys know the theme song, right? That's the farmer song. You know that song? Don't lie to me. The three things I want you to think about are, hold your hands like this. On one hand of the scale is the law, and the other is grace. The law can only be satisfied by Jesus, and grace can never be repaid. This is the mystery of the gospel. The law of God must be satisfied. When we break God's law, someone has to pay. So Jesus paid on the cross. Amen? Hallelujah? Glory? Woo! I mean, it's not, we can stop right there. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He left it white as, now you're in hip hop. Um, and then grace, grace is just like you can't repay it. You'll never earn it. You'll never be good enough. Grace is a gift that has no real explanation other than that the giver wanted to give it. It's the sovereignty of God. Charles Spurgeon said, you know, I wish that God would paint a yellow stripe down every person he's called to follow Christ. Then I would know who to share the gospel with. But since he has not identified everyone he's called to follow him, I must share the gospel with every man in London. Can you imagine if every human being in Flagstaff heard the gospel in the next year? What would that take? What would that cost? What would your share of that work and money be? Salvation comes only by hearing God's word. 
Paul said in, in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news because it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes in it, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of places in America where there are not a lot of Jewish people. And so I'm not going to suggest that you go to the synagogue and bother the 18 Jews and Flagstaff and try to, you know, stir them up to the gospel. Although someone might, should go and be friends with them. I think that there are people who grew up in church and have a very solid religious memory and religious background. They say stuff like, you know, I, my parents are Christians, my dad was a preacher, I grew up in the church, but now I hate organized religion. That, to me, that's, that's the first priority, is that person with a Christian memory who's away from God. Man, let me tell you, first of all, beautiful to, to sit down and serve them by just asking, what, what was it that bothered you? Oh, man. That would have hurt me too. Hey, you know what? You ought to come check out our church. Our pastor won't shame you like that. Yeah, we won't embarrass you by putting a, a bucket full of cash in front of you. Yeah, we, uh, come check out what we're doing at this church. That's a great way to invite people to church. Ask them why they don't go anymore. And then to the Gentile, the person who's totally outside of God's sphere of influence, believe it or not, something inside of each one of their hearts is looking for something eternal and meaningful. And you have the answer. You, listen, if this was a class and I said, hey, who's got the answer to the most difficult question in the world? Every hand should go up. You have the answer. The answer is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. No swinging of incense. No little bell on the altar. No ceremony can, can cover this up. The sin that we've committed... Nothing will do except Christ and him crucified. Only the blood of Jesus will pay for what we've done. But the good news is this. If by faith you, and then by faith you proclaiming it, your neighbors will believe this, the ripple effect is unbelievable. Two, two verses, and then I'll wrap it up. Matthew 24, 14 says this, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Isn't that fascinating? I think sometimes that overall the church can be a little on the lazy side. Just to be honest, I mean, can I be honest? I think sometimes we can be a little on the lazy side. And not that we're lazy, like we don't work, like we all pay our bills and stuff. And we, we certainly make sure that the music is great and the lights are great and the message is great and the fellowship is great and there's someone usually pretty good looking shaking hands out at the front door. You know, we've figured out child care. We've done all this stuff and that is all good stuff. Praise God for the organization. But the proclamation of the gospel doesn't belong to Vince and Ryan and me and six other people in here who've been on a mission trip. The proclamation of the gospel belongs to the bride of Christ. Raise your hand if you're the bride of Christ. So, trick question, guys, you too. You're the bride of Christ, and the proclamation of the good news belongs to you. And when we've proclaimed it to every tribe and every village, the end will come. The end of what? The end of suffering. If you're against suffering, that should ramp you up to do more speaking of life into people. The last verse is Mark 117. I'll just say a few things about it and move on. Mark 117 is one of the first maybe five verses my mentor had me memorize. It's where Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I, uh, I was a business major in college. Not super good at math, but uh, 
I'm just going to walk around here so I can grab my water, Vince. Um, I'm not a big mathematician, but I could appreciate arithmetic. I wasn't real good at algebra, but I, I got really good at arithmetic <coughs> and uh, basic algebra. And I hate to formulize the, the scripture because that, that seems harsh and unfriendly, but let, let me do it anyway. Um, if Jesus said, all right, look, guys, I'm just going to use you four as an example. I'm not picking on you, but you're just easy targets. Ready? Uh, what I want you to do is actually either follow me or, or don't follow me. You pick, but do one of those two. Ready? Just, we would have to like go around the block just real quick. All right, guys, follow me. Okay, so I got three suckers and a smart person. <laughs> they didn't even ask what I was doing. I mean, there could be hot dogs over here. This could be like machine gun training. We don't know. But they, we're going to do it again. You get another chance to redeem yourself. Go ahead. You sit back down. Good job. Give them a hand. <laughs> Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, intellectually, we know this, but I want to point it out. Physically following someone doesn't mean that you're giving them your heart. The church is full of people who do all the things correctly outwardly. They physically look like they're following the master. And, and really only God can judge our hearts. I believe that. I'm not here to judge you. But the, the Bible does say that we should judge ourselves, right? Analyze yourself right now. Not, no, don't condemn yourself. No, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But if you're a Christian right now, I want you to analyze yourself. If Jesus said to you, hey, hey, follow me, and you will proclaim the good news to lost people. You will fish for men. You will impact people for eternity. If you singularly, if you as an individual, if the men and the women, and even I think the younger children say bar mitzvah age and up. I go 12 and up on this. If you're following Christ, you are in some way participating in his vision to fish for men. And so here's the math. If you absolutely refuse to obey this part of the gospel and just will not share the good news, will not tell your testimony, will not invite people to church, even by just grunting and dropping a map in someone's lap, even by emailing or Facebooking someone saying, hey, come check out this crazy uh, church I'm going to. It's super different. It's, uh, I would say, we don't pass an offering plate. You, you won't believe it. I think that's really interesting. The music is super cool. Come check it out. Last week, the preacher said something that made me laugh for like three days. Come hear him. For whatever reason, bring people in here so they can smell the good news and see it and, and, and feel it and taste it. And then a few of you who have like my disease need to learn the skills of actually engaging people constantly with the gospel, the commando skills. And if you want that, tell Vince, I'll come back. We'll do a clinic for six of you. But if in some way a Christian isn't actually fishing for men, throwing a net, putting a chicken bone on some string and trying to catch a crab with it, I mean something. Are you truly following Christ? If Jesus said, my followers will fish for men, and you refuse to go fishing, ask yourself this question. Am I really a follower of Christ if I refuse to fish? Uh, you may think, what a heavy note to end on. Good. Let's pray.